Finishing sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. If you're afraid of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who honestly doesn't know a checkbook from a coupon book, you're afraid of those people. What are you doing there? We look at these figures and we say, oh, unemployment is low. Everything is fine, right? Well, unemployment is low because everyone has two jobs. Capitalism has not always existed in the world, and it will not always exist in the world. If we work to make sure that we take back all three chambers of Congress, uh, rather all three chambers of government, the presidency, the Senate, and the House. I'm proud to be a bartender. Ain't nothing wrong with that. And now, it's a cage match for Christ. Stacey Washington versus Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Oh my God, my, my producer is awesome, producer Devin. I did not know that was coming, you guys. That's why my face was like, is that my voice? Um, she is definitely on a roll. And I, I let, let's just let's unpack this real quick. Okay, so I don't know if you, if you, you may not know this, so let's lay the groundwork. First of all, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being here today. 866-963-2037. Uh, that's the call lines if you want to join us. Welcome to American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And let me just say one, just one quick thing to you real quick. Um, so one thing I've always had, because my mom and my dad are from the South, they're from Tennessee, and they both used to have accents like they were from there. And growing up, my mom said, you're, you're not going to have an accent. You're not going to have an accent like you're from anywhere. And she would correct my English. And if I spoke any, any slang or anything, you know, any grammatically incorrect things to her, she would say, I don't understand you. <laughs> and so I'd have to correct it and say it again. And so she did that just out of that was what she wanted. I don't I don't know all of the, the backstory for it, but she was just very firm about that with my sister and I. And so growing up, I've never had an accent. And people have always said, oh, you don't have an accent. What, what part of America are you from? Now, I grew up in Germany because my dad was on active duty in the Army. And so I ended up where people would come every three years, they would rotate in, and we would just move to a different base. We stayed in Germany. And I, we would always be able to tell what part of the country people were from. And black kids would make fun of me and say, I talk too proper. I talk like a white person. I thought I was white. Uh, who taught me how to talk, to, to talk? Are my parents white? That kind of stuff. And I always had to put up with it. And I would tell my mom at night and she'd say, yeah, but speaking the queen's English is going to get you further in life. Never forget that. So she, she would never allow me to accept the criticism from people or the mockery or what have you. And so that being said, I always joke around because my husband, when we first met and started dating, if I ever tried to speak slang, he'd say, oh, don't, don't, do, don't do that. You don't, you're no good at slang. No, don't, don't try it. And he would actually laugh and say, oh, my wife doesn't know how to speak slang. She, she, can, she can barely curse. Now, unfortunately, that wasn't true. Um, you know, I, I did know how to curse. And, and thank God for setting me free from having that problem. But the point is that the language is something that I've always paid close attention to because I've gotten teased about it and because I notice other people are easy to slip in and out of a certain mode of speaking and I can't really do it. So it, it, is, it was really interesting during the Obama years when he would speak to a black audience, he would slip into this almost preacher cadence and he wouldn't sound like himself because when he was talking regularly, he sounded like who he was. He was a former college professor, a very well-educated man who had a very professorial type of diction. So whenever he would do that, I would always take to Twitter and make fun of it because it's so silly for any person to assume another form of speaking 
to engender, uh, you know, kind of a feeling of community with a group that they're listening, that's listening to them or to fake as if they're a member of a group. And that is what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did. And I think it's disgusting. She says she can talk like that because she's a Latina and she's from the, the Bronx. I don't think she gets the right to talk like that. I think it sounds silly. I think it's stupid. Um, and I think it should be people who hear it should be insulted that she, she couldn't just go in there and talk like herself, which her normal mode of speaking is she often tries to lighten her voice up and she sounds almost like a 10 year old child. Sorry, 10 year old kids. Cause that's an insult to you. Uh, but she tries to sound like that very youthful and inexperienced. And she says stuff like, like, I don't know. I'm not an expert on that. And that's supposed to make us feel like totally excited about her being in a job that pays 178,000 a year. And I don't begrudge her a penny of it. She's a member of Congress. I'm saying taxpayer dollars fund this stupidity. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Um, so it's just interesting that she has this whole thing going on. So I've, I've said this um, on the air. I don't appreciate her doing that. And it's wrong for her to do that. And people who think it's okay, you're getting duped. You're getting sold a bill of goods. So there's that. I want to make sure and cover that today on the show because it was a big, huge story over the weekend. Um, and I got quoted in an article about it. Um, I can't remember where it is, but I'll post the link later after the show. Let's go to the phones. We have Stephen in Kentucky. Hey, Stephen. Thanks for calling in today. Hello, Stacey. How are you Hi. doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. I absolutely love your show. I don't get to hardly hear any of it because by the time I get off work, you're going off the air. So. Oh, well, but, uh, thank you for you, listening. Well, yeah. Um, you made a comment a few weeks ago and kind of went through it just a minute ago about how, you know, when you were in the military, you looked, you were one unit. Mm-hmm. You weren't black. You weren't white. You were Mexican. Everybody worked together as one unit. And this is something that, you know, I've been saved for 26 years, and I have tried very, very hard to get racial division in the church removed. I mean, Paul says that we are neither Greek nor Hebrew, mm-hmm. free nor slave, male or female. Mm-hmm. And when we would begin to look at one another in the church as equal, as one unit, just like you were saying in the military, that's when things are going to change. Because everything has to start with the church. You're right. And... You know, and, and I really appreciate you you saying that because you don't hear that. You just don't hear that. Well, and I you, you have, know, Stephen, we, we so what we do is we take stuff that happens to us during the week, we take it to church. And then when we see and if we're in a church that's segregated, I don't really feel like it's people's fault that, you know, you, you maybe you're raised in a church or you've been there, but we don't invite people to come to our church who aren't like us because we think just because they look differently than we do, that they're not like us. When in reality, a lot of us are much more similar, not based on what we look like, but based on the way we live and the God that we serve. And so you're so right about that. I I don't want to condemn anybody or make people feel bad if they go to a church that's all white or all black or what have you. I don't think that's the purpose. I think it's just more about us saying, you know, it. who will I invite to church? That It's the future. Don't, don't look at the past. If your church is all one or the other, that's not the point. The point is, would you in, just take th- that coworker that you work with and invite them to church? Not if they already have a church home, but the ones who don't have a church home and more and more of them, the people that we encounter, they don't have a church home. They've never been to church or they've fallen away. And those are the ones we should ask to come and join us. Um, and so I just, I, I thank you so much for, um, for calling in about that. Did you have any more comment or no? 
uh, you know, I found the only other thing I can say is, you know, Jesus said that by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have mm-hmm. love for one another. That's right. And it starts with babies. And, you know, I, like I said, I, I just appreciate everything you're saying on there because you're a lot yeah. bolder than most people are. And you're straightforward. So, and I just wanted to call and say I appreciate that and hopefully get it out there one more time where people would realize we are spirit first. Mm-hmm. One body. And our body is just the vehicle that gets us where we're going. It doesn't matter what color your car is. You know, the engine is what gets you there. That's true. That's so. true. And thank you. Thank you, Stephen, for calling the show and for that comment. I appreciate it. I've, I've, I find that being here on uh, American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk is the, it's, it gives me the ability to step out there as far as possible. Um, and it's been a long process and I'm grateful to be here. It's, it's an, it's an opportunity to share. And I just hope that God will use what I'm doing here to accomplish his purposes. And so I'm, I want to, um, I'll give the call number out again, 866-963-2037. I want to point you to a couple things. First off, if you're just tuning in, thank you for coming in today. Uh, Unplanned, the movie, it's everywhere. They expanded it to an additional 1,700 theaters. So that's almost a complete run. Um, I, I, I guess there's like a little over 3,000 theaters in the country. So get out there and see it, guys. And if you are carrying the burden of being uh, you know, have, having experienced reproductive loss, having had abortion yourself or in your family, God's forgiveness is available to you. All you have to do is ask. And it's not a big process. You don't have a big ceremony to go through. God is everywhere. He's available to you right now in this moment. Ask for forgiveness. Ask him to save you and set you free and walk in forgiveness and experience this wonderful opportunity for us as a culture to start to turn the corner Um, being a nation that promotes and funds abortion. Unplanned.com is the website. Please go there and check it out. Uh, I also want to point you to another thing that's going on that's super cool, the Pilgrim's Pilgrim's Progress. It's actually my daughter, the daughter the youngest, uh, her favorite book, The Pilgrim's Progress. This is based on John Bunyan's epic masterpiece. It's in theaters April 18th and 20th. Pilgrims.movie is the website, pilgrims.movie. This is a cartoon adaptation, and uh, American Family Radio is involved in the the production and promotion of this film, and I'm so glad to see that. My daughter's already pumped up about seeing it. Um, It's amazing how pumped up a teenager can get about seeing a cartoon, but she's excited to see it. She's hopeful that it will be a, a very good um, movie representation of the book, which she's read like a million times. Like she's, we literally, we have three copies of it and she just reads it. Like whenever she wants to, she just gets it out and I'll be like, what are you reading? Pilgrim's Progress. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so uh, you, I think you'll really enjoy that option, especially for the kids. Um, so now, yeah, we have a couple minutes left in this segment. Did we talk a little bit about Senator Kenny, Kennedy and his bill to stop the NDAs? I'm going to let you listen to that audio in the third segment. What we're going to do now is I want to cover this bit about this 20 minutes in nature. So with the weather turning, this is a perfect time for a study like this to come out. And I'm giving you this info because I think all of us are spending too much time on these. And y'all know I appreciate the cell phones. I appreciate that's why we do so much live streaming and all of that in addition to our huge terrestrial radio audience. And the reason is because you have access. You can find it wherever you like to find things. But what about going outside? This new study says 20 minutes in nature reduces stress hormone levels. So if you're thinking of living in a big metropolis, they say, make sure and get outside. Actually living in a huge city, 
it increases your stress levels, increases your hormone levels. And the nature pill is what they're calling it, is the only thing that can offset that. Chronic stress, chronic high blood pressure, cholesterol, heart disease, weight issues can all be fixed with just 20 to 30 minutes of walking, sitting outside or completing a physical activity outside or interacting with nature. So that's gardening, raking your yard, cleaning your yard up, walking your dog, anything outside. And I tell you what, I, I actually took some pictures on my phone, but I forgot to post them on, on Instagram of the sky yesterday. I was coming back from church and um, I just, I looked up and the cloud formations out west that's a thing out here in St. Louis. If you live in St. Louis and you live in the suburbs out West, and I know they have good sky, uh, other parts of the city, but if you're in the suburbs and you look out West off highway 40, you can see amazing cloud formations. And I just feel like they're God's love note to us. And I saw some yesterday and then I see this story today. So the study is completed by university of Michigan researchers, Mary Carol Hunter, Brenda Gillespie and Sophie Yu Poo Chen. It was released on Thursday, and it concluded that an efficient nature pill of 20 to 30 minutes of walking, sitting, or completing a physical activity would reduce your health issues of chronic stress, blood pressure, and cholesterol, heart disease, and weight. Now, Hunter said that a study was developed for healthcare practitioners to utilize when giving patients a nature pill prescription. They want to say to healthcare professionals, make sure and mention to your patients who are suffering from these ailments that they can fix it by going outside. And um, they had 44 people from Ann Arbor, Michigan, participate in an eight-week summer study in June of 2014. They had a nature experience three times a week. The participants were allowed to decide what they did and where they did went to get in tune. And they concluded 20 minutes because statistics showed a gradual decrease in stress. But they also noticed a dramatic decrease in stress if you added on 10 minutes. So 30 minutes is the ideal time, but 20 minutes is sufficient to get you this, this, this boost. Um, the biggest challenge for people is commitment, choosing to stop what you're doing and go outside for 20 minutes a day. She says start with five minutes and see where that takes you. I also noticed that um, there was another study that showed that if you take your shoes off and walk around on the ground outside, not your concrete stoop or patio, but your actual grass, you walk around on that for 10 minutes, you can reduce stress levels as well. They call that grounding, putting your actual physical feet on the ground and, you know, experiencing the joy of that. We'll have Gary Goldman from Boston, Massachusetts, right after this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, we took the spices that we'd prepared it and we went into the tomb. We found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When we went in, we didn't find the body of our Lord Jesus. Who took him? Where is he? Who took him? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Where's Jesus? He's not here. He has risen. Jesus was alive. He's alive. Jesus was betrayed, abandoned, mocked, beaten and then crucified on a cross for sinners like you and me. The Son of God was buried and after three days he rose from that grave. Urban Family Talk encourages you to rejoice in the glorious reality that our God is a living God. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. 
The former Attorney General Eric Holder started a conversation the other day on MSNBC when he was asked about President Trump's slogan, Make America Great Again. Holder responded with this question, Exactly when do you think America was great? The implication was America has never been great in the past. Vice President Mike Pence decided to respond to the question by Eric Holder with four iconic pictures on Twitter. They were pictures of Washington crossing the Delaware River, Americans raising the American flag over Iwo Jima, Buzz Aldrin posing with the American flag on the moon, and Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. giving his famous speech in Washington. You might think that would have ended the discussion. Actually, it started another one about American history from a leftist perspective. Consider one of the many Twitter responses. When Washington crossed the Delaware, there was slavery. When the flag was raised at Iwo Jima, Japanese Americans were in internment camps. When King marched on Washington, black people could not vote. And when we landed on the moon, millions were dying in Vietnam. Perhaps this one response can help you see the leftist perspective on American history. No matter what good is done in the country, it is never enough. All of those statements are true, but does that invalidate the sacrifice and innovation that has made some of these iconic pictures so meaningful? One more point is worthy of mention. Few want to mention the political affiliation of those behind such evil. It was Democrats who put Japanese Americans in internment camps, prevented African Americans from voting, and who expanded the Vietnam War. The vice president tried to provide us with a history lesson and instead gave us an insight into the mindset of the left in America. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Socialism, go to viewpoints.info slash socialism. That's viewpoints.info slash socialism. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, I want to just kind of reiterate what we were talking about right before we went to the break. And this is not to say that it's the only thing that you need to do. If your doctor has recommended that you eat less, uh, you know, let's say, God forbid, but less bacon or less meat. Um, Or if your doctor has said, hey, you know, you need to do X, Y, or Z or exercise this much more. You got to listen to what your doctor's saying. But it is beneficial to kind of say, how can I make my doctor's recommendation work for me? Um, and how can I make it fit into my life? How can I make it enjoyable? And I think one thing that we can do is adjust our attitude. I actually recently found uh, a, a group of women, they have an online website that they do. And it's for Christians who are looking to be more physically fit and, and for Christian women. And she says, what about your attitude? Do you have an attitude of, hey, I get to exercise today. I get to, you know, basically move my body. Um, you know, a lot of people want to move their body, but they can't because they have a disability or they're ill right now. There are you know, many different reasons. Um, I get to go to work today. You know, I get to clean my house today and take care of my home. God gave me a home. It's the attitude that we have that can oftentimes be detrimental to us moving forward. So I thought that was super helpful. I'm just happy to share that um, with you uh, and, you know, then, of course, move on to our guest. We have Gary Goldman. He is a Boston, Massachusetts syndicated talk show host. Um, Gary, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So let's talk about this. It was the uh, Ocasio-Cortez black accent thing. What was she trying to pull? Uh, well, 
I mean, with AOC, you never know what you know the, what what the real end game is. But you know, I, I I listened to her give that talk a number of different times, and I said to myself, okay, you know, I, I, I've heard many of people do this, uh, you know, change their 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 tone or the way they're speaking depending on who they who they're speaking to, and they you know code switching. It's done a million times. Mm-hmm. With that said. You know, the audience, she was, first of all, if it, if it was a Republican that did this, the, the mm-hmm. Democrats would be having a, uh, you know, losing their mind. It would be outrageous. It would be nonstop all over the newspapers, radios, et cetera. But I'm looking at the crowd that she's speaking with, and I'm saying, you know, this is pretty, from my perspective, the more I listen to this, it sounds racist to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying to myself, it, 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 it it's the equivalency of blackfacing, you know, I and she, if she went in and gave her speech and just kept her tone, her normal monotone, I mean, we all can joke about the way she talks and her, her voice, um, but to me it would have been more authentic. Uh, it, it would have shown a, a different person that she's talking about really the, the situation at hand and not trying to you know, play down to the, to the crowd that she's with. So I, I just thought it was out of place. Um, I understand. I, I don't understand, but I know why she did it. I don't agree with it. I just thought it was totally out of place. So talk to me about why, why you feel like, because you said you know why she did it. Talk to me about that, because I, I feel like I know why she did it, and she did tweet out an explanation afterwards, which I totally did not buy. Um, right. But what, why do you feel like she did it? Well, I think, I think she, she did it because she felt that being in front of that audience, that she had to show them that she was like them. You know, I'm a bartender. Um, Obviously, she, she's not a, uh, a black bartender, um, but she wanted to make them feel that she understood them. She, I, I'm with you. I understand what you're going through. And, you know, she has said on numerous occasions, and this is another thing that's very frustrating, she has said that she speaks like this because she grew up in the, in the Bronx. And the Bronx, if we look at the statistics, is, you know, I think it's about 43%, you know, black versus white and uh there would be some validity to that. But she left the Bronx when she was five years old and uh, moved to, I think it's Yorktown Heights, which is 90% white. So that, that part of it, you know, she, she loses me when, as soon as she comes out with, you know, I was brought up in this environment. No, you, you were there for a short period of time up until I think you were five years old and then you moved on. So I don't buy any of that. But I, I, I think AOC and I've been following her a lot. Matter of fact, I've been trying to get her onto the show to interview her, and you know, <laughs> it's probably going to be an impossible dream. But I'm working on it. Um, I find her very interesting, but I find her she will do whatever she has to do in front of whomever she is in front of to sort of make herself even likable, to make sure they feel like she's part of them. And she she also claims that she she doesn't change her speaking the way she talks. To any audience, she uses the same tone all the time, and we know this just proved that she doesn't do that. So, okay, so I think you're dead on. Um, the, it's it's based on who she's talking to, but my question is, and I know this, it's kind of rhetorical, but I want to talk about it. You know, Gary, let's say it was, let's not take someone super famous like Mitt Romney. Let's take someone up and coming like uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. Let's mm-hmm. say, because Florida has a nice sized population of, of uh, you know, permanently tanned people. That's why I like to call us permanently tanned folks. So you got Governor Ron, Ron DeSantis, and he's speaking to a group of uh, the, the constituents who actually drove his election, put him over the top, 
black moms who want school choice. So he gets a group of them together and they're talking about a school choice initiative and he's on the podium with a microphone and he suddenly stops speaking in his normal tone and takes on a little bit of, you know, like a little bit of a kind of Al Greenish, you know, a little swagger, a little Al Sharpton mixed yeah. in there. You know, whatever you want, whatever description you like, he's sounding kind of black. How long would it take? Like, would it even take 60 seconds for Don Lemon, Jake Tapper, um, Al Sharpton to literally fillet him alive, roast him worse than a marshmallow, and then call for his complete and utter obliteration, obliteration from politics? How long would that take? It, it, I think 60 seconds is too long. It would take 30 seconds or less. And they would, they, you're right, they would want him out of politics. He, they would want him to, um, in some sort of sensitivity training classes, they would want him going out and apologizing to the world. Look, at, <laughs> it, it's, it's a one, look, the, the press and it, it focuses on one side of the aisle, and that's to the left. And no matter what anybody on the left does, they're always going to think of an excuse for them. I mean, CNN had so many excuses for AOC. It was just amazing. And, you know, ripping apart the fact that, you know, the Democrats, contrary to what you just said, would not even, would not even you know, uh, if, if a Republican did that, they basically would have just ignored it and moved on. Really? Now, come on. Who do you, who do you think you're talking to? So, it, look, we're, we're dealing in a... We're in a very difficult time politically and socially, and I think we're at some danger at a dangerous time. But to just put that aside, to to you know talk like that to your audience, I think is very condescending, and I think you're you're, you're not displaying who you really are. And I, I, to some degree, I don't think AOC really knows who she is, and that's part of the problem. Um, but it's just wrong. And it, like you said, if it was if it was somebody else, they would rip them apart and they would try to end their career. In her case, they're trying to prop her up um, and keep her alive. I personally think um, her own party is going to do her in over time, but that's, that's a whole other discussion. Okay, let's go there, because that's, that's exactly what I'm thinking. And I've seen yeah, some others. I mean, look, at if, she, you know? if, she was the, if she was the poster child for the Democratic Party, forget the fact that she's blurring her mouth all day long and saying you know, whatever she feels like and comes up with these, the crazy new, you know, the new Green Deal and whatever else. If they really wanted her to be representative of the of the Democratic Party, they would have someone watching over her that would not let her say half the things that she wanted that she is saying. They would be correcting, you know, correcting her, toning her down, keeping her in line. They're letting her run wild. You know, the Democratic Party, after Obama and as we got into this election period in 2016, you know, there was a lot of people within the party that wanted they wanted a new wave of candidate. They wanted young blood in there. So they went to the lab like Dr. Frankenstein and they created a number of freshman Democrats, you know, freshman Congress people, and one of them is AOC. I think, you know, they may have they may have played with the with the formula a bit too long. And now they're paying for it. They don't know how to control it, but I do believe that over time they're, they're gonna let her implode or lead her up to her, up the road so she implodes and that's the end of her. Okay, so let's 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 talk about Joe Biden. Did you see that clip of him today? And this connects up with AOC in that he he didn't say her name, but he said this new wave of Democrats um, who are defining what 
a Democrat is as a far left progressive or a socialist. That's not me. That's not those who won in the fall of 2018 and beat Republicans in their districts. He said the rank and file Democrats have not moved. We are not socialists. We're still Democrats. We're just progressive. Um, And then you have Barack Obama coming out and making similar comments, saying these litmus tests, these purity tests are going to destroy the Democrats. What do you make of those in light of her recent, you know, her delving into Ebonics and all that garbage she was doing? Yeah, well, I I think they're right. I think, you know, the Democratic Party has moved so far. I have a lot of friends that are very liberal to the left. And for them to tell me that it has gone overboard, they're really conceding a lot. But I don't believe uh, someone like Biden has a chance because, you know, the party has made it clear, the younger version of this party has made it clear they don't want an older white male. And no matter what you say, you know, you can like Joe Biden, you can think he's going to make it, you know, he could do some uh, good for the party, and he's diplomatically trying to set his uh, stance out there. I just don't think he has a chance. Um, I do believe that the party has gone too far to the left, and the American people are going to, you know, uh, the, the, the next election, if, if they keep this up, they're going to find out what losses are all about, because it, it's going to ring their bell all day long. But they're, oh. uh, they, they've gone too far. But, I mean, you, you've got, she's not the only one in the party, you know. We've got a lot of anti-Semitic behavior going mm-hmm. on, and which is, look at, scary on all different ends. It, it shouldn't be happening in this country. And who is really in control of the party now? Pelosi's sort of sitting back. She, she'll throw a little shot once in a while. I just don't think she knows how to handle this crowd. Oh, I don't think I, she's they out know of control. how to bring them under control. She doesn't. So her normal methodology is she's a strong arm. You know, her, her dad was a mob boss. She knows how to ring people's bells. But this new group... They don't have bells to ring. It's as if they're running around with no head. It's like bodies with no head at all. And there's a speaker attached to the body, and it just spews out whatever. And she doesn't know how to manage that. And, and I think what's funny, Gary, about the whole thing, Ocasio-Cortez faking a black accent, the huge debacle with her office releasing the true bits of the New Deal, and then everybody yeah. having to clean up after it. So many mistakes. I I think it's wonderful because it's been so long that I've been saying Democrats are far too extreme for main mainstream Americans. Most mm-hmm. Democrats that I knew, well, that I knew, because you know, once once you get too far out there in Republican politics, Democrats don't want to be your friend anymore, um, whether they're radicals or not, because it's just too inconvenient. But I'll tell you what, Gary, I don't know a lot of people who are as radical as these these latest, you know, anti-Semitic. I mean, I think about all of my Jewish friends that we've known for years since our kids were babies. And they're pretty progressive, like they're for gay marriage, they, they're for, you know, lawful abortion, whatever. But they are not anti-Semitic because they are Jews, you know, right. so they're they're like, you know, they may not be the biggest proponents of Israel, the nation state, but they don't believe Palestine is a place or that, the, you know, Israel needs to give up half of its its landmass to to some imaginary people who could easily be absorbed into an Arab nation nearby. They don't believe that stuff. But they don't feel like they have anywhere to go because their identity is rooted in being a Democrat. Right. That's how they, you know, usually it stems that their parents voted. They just believe mm-hmm. in it and mm-hmm. they, they move forward with it. So, you know, that, that's, that's, uh, that's such a uh, difficult area to get into because, you know, when I talk to relatives and friends, I'll say, you know, how can you vote Democratic based on what, you know, the last president did and, and some of the rhetoric you're hearing now from different people in the, you know, the government. 
and it, it's exactly what you said. They're rooted in it. They want to believe there's better, but I think they, they need a, a rude, they're going to have a rude awakening. But I think this new group is, like you said, they're almost like on remote control um, with a speaker that's great analogy, and they're just running rampant. Whatever they bounce off of, they turn around and they just go out mm-hmm. and they spew whatever they feel like saying on any day of the week. But there's a lot of, you know, um, when, when you look at uh, the, the congresswoman there from Michigan there, you know, the, look, at I, she has an agenda. She has a, she, she, it's definitely an anti-Israel agenda. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, she, she does not like Jews. She has uh, a formula. I think she's working with the uh, Muslim Brotherhood. You know, mm-hmm. she, she, she looks at that aspect of um, the way Americans treat Muslims as, in her view, you know, racist. We wouldn't treat other people like that. She doesn't want to look at the bad side of what may take place with, you know, Islamic extremists. But she wants to is, uh, rip Israel apart. And again, she's not getting any very little setback from people like Pelosi when they, you know, the, when they when they talk about uh, calling her out, they do it with other amendments in there, mm-hmm. you know, against other groups, which is totally stupid. So, you know, we we it's going to be interesting to see how long their energy level goes or until their batteries run out, or if they don't run out and she loses complete control over this party through the election cycle, and then they'll really have to regroup. I think I think they're going to have to regroup anyways, but uh, it depends how much damage they're going to get. Well, I, you know, Gary, you, that's good analysis. Now just only add this one little thing, and that is the, the whole idea that, that the two front runners, the two true front runners are Joe Biden and uh, Bernie Sanders, who are both white, it's not their fault, but it just happens to be their demographics. And that white men are so pilloried in the Democratic Party right now means that Kamala Harris is the true front runner because she's the one all the delegates, the super delegates are going to put into that position. Now, I don't believe Kamala Harris has the juice to be able to pull off an upset the way Barack Obama did. She doesn't have it. It's not it, her personality isn't conducive to it. And the American people have already been hoodwinked by that once before. So a lot of white voters who voted for Barack Obama out of a sense of historicity are not going to feel the same way about Kamala Harris. And I don't think she understands that when she's the nominee, she will have to run up against that buzzsaw that it, that is Donald Trump again oh, yeah. and again and again. Not once. She will have to run up against him every single day. And she's not ready for it. I don't think any female candidate on the D side is ready for it. Uh, he's ready for it. <laughs> I don't think they're ready for it. I don't think they they even have a message. I mean, wh- listen to their message. I mean, uh, look at the climate. The, you know, the the new green deal. Uh, I'm, you I'm know, if sure we don't I'm deal with these things, we're, we're here, but... the, yeah, the world's coming to an end. But people still are concerned about uh, their their pocketbook, and I think uh, President Trump has done a good job with that. Jobs, we have jobs. I mean, what? What are they going to argue? We should have a good economy. We should give more money. We should become socialists like Venezuela. I mean, it's It's time to take a stand. Take a, stand. a stand in the gap. My name is Marina from Toledo, Ohio. I found a radio station one morning, and what drew me is how you use scripture, the Bible, on your opinions, and you have such a very array of discussions and they all have to do with our everyday life. Daphne from Pontotoc, Mississippi, you all have kept me current, up to date on what's happening in the world. Your word is God sent and enlightening. Most of all, you stand on the word of God, unwavered by the things of this world. 
and it reminds me of the unity in Christ to hear you speak and the callers to call in. And I know that I'm not alone. God is using Urban Family Talk to influence the lives of listeners across America. Join us for our three-day share April 23rd through 25th here on listener-supported Urban Family Talk. Family is an institution set forth by God, one man and one woman for life, with the outflow being children produced by that union. It's obvious to all that there is an attack on the family in our country, and especially on fathers. Whether it's the cycle of sin that persists in our families or the pressure from our government to exclude men from being intimately involved, the strategic battle is on for the souls of men. Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood. UrbanFamilyTalk.com Bishop Vincent Matthews. Every one of my children have gone to college uh, that are in college on an wow. academic scholarship. And we taught them in our home. So reevaluate wherever you bought your hair or got it done. <laughs> one day is going to be out of style. But your heritage is not just for what am I going to do today. It's for your children's 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 children. The Marriage, Family and Life Conference is coming June 20th through the 22nd. Learn more and register at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Here's your On This Date update for April 8th. The cover of Time Magazine's issue today in 1966 asked, Is God Dead? It caused a huge uproar and sparked a national debate. On this date in 1974, baseball history was made. Butler goes back to the Hank Aaron hit his 715th home run, breaking Babe Ruth's record. And actor Clint Eastwood became His Honor Mr. Mayor today in 1986 when he was elected Mayor of Carmel, California. Born on this date, First Lady Betty Ford, Dukes of Hazard actor John Schneider, and... Singer Julian Lennon. I'm Mitch Davis and that's your On This Date update. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Chairman Neal, powerful man, head of ways and means. I know he's an adult, but I don't think he's like a real adult. He says that he needs Trump's tax returns. He says it's, it's policy, not politics. He has said, I think on CNN, that the reason he needs them is that he needs to determine how well the IRS is auditing taxpayers. Uh, I, I, I can't believe he really thinks the American people are going to fall for that. It, it, it must really to be that dumb. Look, this is very simple. Mr. Neal wants to with the president. He doesn't think the president ought to be president. Well, you know, words can't express how much I don't care. It's not Mr. Neal's call. The American people have chosen Donald Trump as president. If you don't like it, in two years you can vote against him. In the meantime, don't with him. Let him try to be president. Now, Mr. Neal is not in good faith. Nobody believes he's in good faith. Um, he is, this is wildly dishonest. This is thoroughly in bad faith. And I don't blame the, Trump, the president for pushing back. There's no requirement that he turn over his taxes. If I were running for president, would I turn over my taxes? Yeah. But there's no requirement. 
And Trump said, I'm not going to turn over my taxes. They're being audited. The American people knew that when, when they, they voted for him or didn't vote for him. He won the election. So that is Senator Kennedy. And he says um, that the president doesn't have to give anything like he doesn't have to do anything. Um, and I'm not sure if that was clip two or clip one. So I need to double check that because we did not listen to uh, number two during the um, during the last segment. It was it was really I said we were going to push it back. So uh, listen, he makes some excellent points there. This is just a pivot by the uh, the Democrats. And listen to how this works. First, it's President Trump is an agent of the Russians. He's a spy. He's a puppet. Putin is his master. Blah, blah, blah. He's treasonous. He's horrible. He's just terrible. Yada, yada, yada. And then after that, they say, oh, darn, you know what? Um, actually, President Trump isn't guilty of collusion. But you know what he is guilty of? He's super guilty of um, he's guilty because he hasn't released his tax returns to us. And there has to be something there. Now, normally, I mean, obviously, there is a bit of interest that gets piqued when when someone says, you say, I want to see that. And they say, no, you can't see it. The natural response for human beings is to say, there must be something there that I do, you don't want me to see. Now, it could be that there's something there. That you don't, I believe it's the business contacts and the people he's he's interacted with that show up on the, you know, the people he's 1099 or who have 1099 him or whatever. And he doesn't want to expose those people to the horrible, rancorous attacks by uh, by Democrats. But it could be that he simply has just dug in his heels and he just doesn't want to show it. Whatever the reason is, it's not required. There's no law that says that candidates or presidents have to release their tax returns. Um, because I think the president should also call for Nancy Pelosi's. I'd love to see how she ended up getting her first few million from Congress, not from her husband's business interests or the money passed down to her from her father, whatever that was. I mean, how did she manage to go from because she only makes one hundred and eighty thousand a year or thereabouts? Oh, she actually makes a little more than that because she's in leadership. So just over two hundred thousand, I think. How is she a multimillionaire? I know she owns a winery in Napa. I know she has a. Uh, a huge restaurant that's extraordinarily popular. Um, and I know her husband and she have other business interests, but how'd that come about? Taxpayers would love to know. The shoe is always good on, on both feet. Um, so let's listen to the, the rest of this. He's actually talking a little bit more here uh, about the, um, it's, it's Senator Kennedy again, and he's talking about the non-disclosure agreements over sexual harassment. This is so good. It's such an appropriate bill for him to file. It's number two. I wish we could go further, and maybe eventually we will. It's real simple. It says if you're a federal official or a state official, and you're accused of sexual harassment, and you settle the lawsuit, you can't keep it quiet unless the victim wants to keep it quiet. Um, no non-disclosure agreement unless the victim agrees. If you're spending taxpayer money, taxpayers need to know. Even, even if they, uh, you're not spending taxpayer money, voters still need to know. Uh, just because you're accused of something doesn't mean you're guilty. But these facts need to, or at least the allegations need to come out. And I think it'll cut, cut out a lot of people acting like pigs. And he's right. As long as they have that blanket of anonymity where they can say, 
you sign this NDA and we'll pay you 30 grand, 80 grand, 170 grand. And these numbers are stacking up. Multiple tens of millions of dollars have been paid out to these victims. Um, you know, and let's put the shoe on the other foot as well, just so we, we let's keep it equal opportunity. Not doing well at your job. You know you're not doing well. Your boss has a reputation for being a womanizer and ha- not being able to keep his hands to himself. Why not just say he sexually harassed you? And, and rather than going public with that accusation, he just pays you off. And so then you don't have to go try to find a job someplace. You can just, uh, you know, take that money and run with it and do whatever you want. I mean, come on. Human beings that are prone to this kind of behavior. If you cover it up with this blanket of secrecy, it enables other people to sexually harass interns and staffers we should never be okay with this so you know that being said um now i want to pivot over something else this is actually good news and i love these kinds of stories here on the show i really do because i know that there are people in the audience who they're suffering or their family members are suffering from cancer we've had this in our family as well and it is just so disheartening how cancer by the time people detect it a lot of times it's already gone so far that you know, it's inoperable or it's this or it's that. And God is a healer and he works miracles. But cancer is a real problem for us as human beings. Well, this story is really exciting. It's a cancer vaccine, quote unquote, which shows promise in human trials of lymphoma patients. So it's an experimental cancer vaccine showing promising results in a small clinical trial of patients with lymphoma. And the study was published Monday in the Journal of Nature Medicine. Researchers at New York's Mount Sinai Hospital tested the treatment on 11 patients who have lymphoma. Lymphoma. Their results were successful enough to um, the results were successful enough to warrant another clinical trial in March on lymphoma patients, as well as breast and head and neck cancer patients. Now, some patients in the initial human trial went into full remission for months, and some of them went into it for years. The treatment has broad implications for multiple types of cancer, and the lead author is Dr. Joshua Brody, the director of lymphoma lymphoma immunotherapy programming. This method could also increase the success of other immunotherapies such as checkpoint blockade. Now, they refer to this treatment as a vaccine because it causes a person's immune system to fight the disease, but it's not preventative like the flu shot. In this case, The treatment teaches the body to recognize tumors and attack them. They created the treatment directly inside the tumor, and it goes into some details about how they did that. Now, CNBC uh, is where I found this story, CNBC. In three of the patients, the treatment shrunk not only the tumor that was treated, but also other ones throughout the body, putting them into remission. And um, the the effects are promising, but that effect was only observed in three people and will need to be tested in larger trials. And um, the larger trials have to be completed before the FDA will uh, review all of the information. So this is still very, very early. Dr. Eric Jacobson is a clinical director at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute's lymphoma program. And he said the results are exciting, but caution that more research needs to be done. Jacobson was not actually involved in the study. He says it's proof of concept, but larger studies are definitely needed and additional strategies to try to get more than three out of 11 patients to respond. So three out of 11 in his mind is not successful. Um, Jacobson, who is also developing a lymphoma vaccine, 
only he's using a, a little bit of a different approach to get his done. Now, researchers for decades have tried but failed to create cancer vaccines, but new research on immunotherapy, training a person's immune system to fight disease, has invigorated their efforts. The vaccine actually activates dendritic cells, which are responsible for initiating immune responses. These cells then instruct T cells to attack tumors in a person's body, like generals instructing soldiers on how to fight. Generals don't really fight wars. They make the plans, Brody said. So the research was funded by the Damon Runyon Cancer Research Foundation, the Cancer Research Institute, and Merck. Celdex and Oncover provided the materials for the clinical trial and the lab work. So we should pray for them to continue on with their work and that they would find fruitful, uh, you know, their plans would be made fruitful. I just, it's just such good news to have any kind of breakthrough in the arena of cancer um, because of how devastating it is to families all over the country. Now, I talked a little bit about this before, and I want to don't want to let the show run out before we cover this. This ex-Democratic staffer who pled guilty to doxing McConnell and others in the GOP during the Kavanaugh hearings. His name's Jackson Costco, and he pled guilty Friday to charges stemming from posting to the Internet the personal information of GOP senators. Now, I got to tell you, when this happened, I was pretty ticked off, mainly because you don't see this happening to Democrats. You only see it happening to Republicans. It's not the first time it's happened and probably won't be the last because these people are so rabidly opposed to just allowing the natural processes to work. If they're losing, they feel like they have to put your personal life out there and try to destroy you. What is that? What, what is it's demonic? That's what it is. Um, yeah, I said it. Now what? I said it's demonic, totally demonic. Um, so, let me get back to this story. I started off on that tangent. Um, he was a Democratic staffer. I bet you they're leaving that out of the news reports, if they're even covering this at all over on the big letter networks. He's 27 years old, and he's been convicted of making public restricted personal information, computer fraud, witness tampering, and obstruction of justice. Hmm. In addition to McConnell's information, he posted the home address and phone numbers of GOP Senators Lindsey Graham, Mike Lee, Rand Paul, and then Senator Orrin Hatch. Of course, he's retired now. Costco reportedly became angry about the senator's support for Kavanaugh. He intended to intimidate them and their families. At the time of his arrest, he was working as an unpaid intern for Representative Sheila Jackson Lee. She fired him when she found out what he did. He was previously employed as a computer systems administrator in Maggie Hassan's office, her senatorial office, which that job is what gave him this broad access and intimate knowledge of the computer systems in Hassan's office. He'd been fired from Hassan's office in May of 2018 for failing to follow office procedures, which makes me wonder if he was fired in May how did he end up working for Sheila Jackson Lee after that? She didn't, she didn't know that he'd been fired? Like, is it the regular business to run around hiring folks who've been fired for uh, improperly accessing? Anyway. So then, after he was fired from Maggie Hassan's office, he became angry and repeatedly burglarized the office without being detected. He copied gigabytes worth of data, 
dozens of usernames and passwords belonging to Senate employees, contact information for numerous sitting U.S. senators. He was arrested October 3rd, 2018. Remember, we discussed this on the show back then. One day after a staffer discovered him working on a computer in Hassan's office, he was not authorized to be there. Records show Costco sent a threatening email to the staffer the evening he was confronted. (laughs) He's a nut job. Honestly, he is scheduled to be sentenced in Washington on June 13th. He faces between two and five years in prison. He formally held positions with other prominent Democrats, former Senator Barbara Boxer of California, Senator Dianne Feinstein of California. Yeah, dude has had plenty of access to this information, and now he's going to jail for doing this stuff. Uh, I don't feel any kind of way about it. I'm going to be honest. I don't feel any kind of way. Um, and okay, so we have a little bit more time left, and I, I have to give you this information as well. Only 14% of Americans say Obamacare made things better. 46% say Obamacare made things worse. Now, we've seen a little bit of chitter-chatter from the president. He's been tweeting about how he wants to make health care their signature issue going into 2020, and Mitch McConnell put the kibosh on that. Well, I think it's not a bad idea if the president ran on actually implementing a healthcare reform agenda and made it a part of the GOP, you know, like what the GOP stands for, it could be very helpful to him. He just watched as the Democrats used Obamacare as a wedge issue, pre-existing conditions, um, in the House races in the fall and, and it helped them to take back the House. I think it bears more looking into, don't you? Anyway, that's the show for today. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, with more Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Stacy Washington, have a great night.